This is an audio version of the 24th annual DICE Awards Roundtable Series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, this is the award celebration by game makers for game makers, honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards. Hey everybody, I'm Kali Adams, and this fine group of folks hanging out with us for the 24th Annual Dice Awards are our nominees for Outstanding Achievement in Original Music Composition. I'm extremely excited to rock with them today, and I'm interested to hear from each one of them. Uh, let's get you started with some introductions first. Uh, first up, we have Chris Velasco, who worked on Carrion. How are you doing, Chris? Hey, I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Give the folks at home a little bit of info about the work you've done in this space. Well, I've been scoring games professionally for about 17 years already. Um, got my big break with the first God of War. And... Um, I think uh, I've probably scored, it seems crazy, but um, I'm getting close to about 150 titles already. So everything from the AAA side down to the more indie, uh, like Carrion, for example. That, that is amazing. Almost 150 titles. That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, coming to us, uh, having worked on Ghost of Tsushima, we have Brad Meyer. How are you doing, Brad? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'd, I'd love for you to share a little bit about the work you've done in this space as well. Yeah, so I've been, uh, started as a sound designer about 23 years ago or so, and I've uh, been with Sucker Punch for about nine years. Um, and so I'm their audio director. And so, you know, worth noting here that uh, the composition and, and much of, of the work that is, is being honored here is, is really due to my music team at PlayStation Studios. Very, very cool. I'm just, I'm just cool. here to take the credit. I mean, that's the beautiful part about these. Is you, get to, you get to come in and, and, and soak up all the, all the goods there. Uh, for, from Little Orpheus, uh, we have Jim Fowler. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Hey, there. pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Share a little bit about, your, about the work you've been doing as well. Yeah, started in games many moons ago on uh, SingStar for the PlayStation. If you remember that, singing game. Um, since then, I've orchestrated and composed for a bunch of games, mostly at PlayStation, uh, of all shapes and sizes, including uh, Bloodborne, uh, orchestrated on that. And uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, but uh, excited working on interesting indie things like Little Orpheus. Super, super cool. Super cool. So now I know who to blame for all the spookiness that I hate whenever I play that game. That's awesome. <laughs> From Ori and Will of the Wisps, we have Gareth, Gareth Coker. How are you doing, Gareth? How's everything? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for, thanks for having me here. Well, I guess, uh, I guess I got my break with Ori in the Blind Forest, so it's kind of cool to be back here uh, again with Dice for, for Will of the Wisps. Uh, done some other things between between the two games, uh, most notably probably putting out seven different albums for, for Minecraft expansions. Um, and right now I'm finishing off the score for Halo Infinite, which will release at some point this year. Can't give away <laughs> the release date. 
<laughs> that's fantastic. That's super, 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 super cool. Uh, and to end out and round up our grouping here, we have Austin Wintory who worked on the Pathless. How are you doing? I'm very well. Um, yeah, this is a this is a this is a cool way to get around the fact that we would all be righteously supposed to be hanging out in a room together. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I like it. Super cool. Give, give the folks at home a little bit more info about the work you've been working on. Right. Um, I started uh, in games about 15 years ago, but it was, um, for me, the, the hard left turn was uh, now almost 10 years ago, which is insane, uh, when Journey came out and um, kind of caught me by surprise that more than seven people played it. And I've uh, been, been very lucky to have a um, bunch of uh, pretty exciting opportunities since then, uh, culminating most recently in, in this game, which actually can be traced directly back to Journey through our creative directors. So very happy. I love that. Um... I'm super excited again. Thank you all for being here. And one of the things I'm super excited about is I am a nerd about the nuts and bolts of all the things that you all do. Um, I think it's fantastic and adds so much to the experiences that we have as game players and as folks who are in this space and in the industry. Um, the first kind of question for, for everyone and I'll, and I'll go around the horn is, you know, when you're kind of starting the process of scoring a game, you know, what aspect of that, is kind of the most important and kind of most valued part in the process when you're kind of thinking about, you know, what, what this music should evoke and, and how it should kind of connect to the player. You know, what are some of the, the ways you're thinking about um, from a music standpoint, how to get that stuff across in a way that, that feels really special to the player in that way? I'm going to start off with Gareth and, and then we're going to kind of go around the room. You, you put me on the spot. Um, so for, so for <laughs> me, um, the rest of I'm, our actors are going to be entirely good how well you do now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely lucky because um, Moon Studios, I, I've been part of the studio for a really long time. Um, I'm not an employee of the studio, but I kind of have the same level of access that an employee would have, which is not really common for a, for a composer. Most of us come in at the end. Um, mm. And I get to play the game when there's no graphics, there's no, the, everything looks kind of bad or everything's a, everything's a gray box. But the thing that it allows me to do the most, and I think gets the best out of me is because I'm able to play the game, I understand how the game feels and I understand like the pace and the rhythm of the game. I have a feeling that like whenever I play either my, the games I work on or uh, when I'm playing uh, games uh, just for enjoyment, I feel like each game has a kind of basic rhythm and speed and feel to it. And that's the first kind of thing I'm looking for. Um, and then when you add the art, like that, that like adds a whole nother different level of um, choices that you can make. Like I, I choose my instrument palettes based on, uh, based on what I'm seeing, but I've chosen the speed and the pace and the rhythm of the music based on the gameplay. And then hopefully along the way, I've written some decent character themes and melodies and, that process takes a long period of time for me, but I usually be I, I believe that it brings a better result because by the time it gets to the end, 
I know inside out better than most of the dev team, to be honest, uh, what the game is from start to finish. And that usually results in, uh, in a better job for me. It does depend <sighs> on the kind of game that you're doing, but for, for Ori, which is a narratively driven game, but with a lot of gameplay, that's the process that, that works best for this game, I think. That's super wild. I, I never really thought of you seeing the games that early and thinking of the way music would work in that space. Is that something that's common for, for the rest of the folks in the room too? Is that, or does it feel like you're kind of coming in depending upon, you know, if you're working in-house or kind of coming in from the outside of, you know, seeing a game kind of when it's already kind of up and running and past a little bit of gray box and, and concept stuff. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear that, you know, Chris, what, what are your thoughts oh, about that? What are yeah, your I, I feel, um, I, I agree with everything that, uh, that Gareth said. I, in fact, that was going to be my answer too, was, was pacing because everyone thinks about, and of course they're all equally as important, but you know, style and color and tone. And, but, um, but for me, pacing is huge because it can, um, you know, if you have, if you have music in, in your game and the, and for me, it, even like a, a tempo thing, if, if that's not right, it just, the game feels awkward. Um, there's, it, it really has the ability to, I feel like slow a, a game down and, and almost create a sense of boredom or, or if it's too fast, it's, it's maybe can become a little silly as well. Um, but I'm, I'm so used to working at the end of a project mm-hmm. and not getting to see that or not even getting to play the game. That's what it used to be like. But I feel like recently, maybe for me, the last five years or so, um, developers have been a lot better about giving me builds of the game so I can play it myself. And, you know, I've been asking for that for 17 years and, <clears throat> and it's much easier now, you know, you don't need a dev kit at home, but yeah, just getting to play the game and feel its natural rhythm for me is one of the most important things. That's, that's super cool. And, and it makes me think of, you know, specifically, you know, Pathless and, and Carrion where, those games are very, very kinetic. And it feels like the, the way that movement happens within those games dictates a lot of the pacing and the way that it works. I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear from, from you, Austin, about the initial question of just, you know, what kind of aspects of that are kind of most important to the process for you two? At the beginning of that sentence, I was dying to know how you were connecting those two games. Uh, and uh, <laughs> actually, but funny enough, that's a pretty, that's a pretty, uh, pretty spot on like way to link them because the the movement was what to instantly sucked me into to carrying uh i i loved i loved I, I started playing it because i knew chris worked on it and then i was like man this is really satisfying like kinetically or has the same quality uh actually yeah. just really really beautifully tuned tuned mechanics um but um but in terms of Pat, you know, they, they, I, I have a similar relationship with Giant Squid as, uh, as Gareth was talking about with Moon. You know, Giant Squid was started by Matt Nava, who was the art director for that game company and Flower and Journey. And so I was uh, fortunately one of the first people he called when he started the company back in 2012 or so. And we started straight into Abzu and two thirds of the team hadn't even been hired yet, you know, so it was able to you know, be there from the ground up and then just continued straight into pathless off the back of that. So everything Gareth was saying is true here too, of, of being able to see it and kind of bounce ideas around before there's even a there there, you know, that the game is mm. initially it's 
the game exists as a conversation subject and then the game becomes concept art and then it becomes tech demos and prototypes and then super janky gray boxes and all that. And, and we're adding music and prototyping ideas through that whole process. And, and, you know, in the case of this one, I fortunately was there that long because as the, the game evolved a lot, you know, something that the, 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 the potential advantage of coming in late, which I, I actually, I'm with Chris. I, it's always better to be in early uh, and, and it's definitely become more normal lately um but if there is one advantage to coming in late it's that they've pretty well figured out what the game is and and because in, in the case of pathless you know there's a lot of mechanics that came and went and there's a lot of content of the game that the music was sort of wrapping itself around and then would suddenly realize that it had it had thanos and i was suddenly grasping its air and so then i just would throw out a pile of music and throw away you know, there goes 40 minutes of music that we just don't need anymore. And I, I don't mind that. I like that as part of the process, but it, it's obviously, you know, it, it, ha it, it, it just means that you, you kind of, you take it and you take it as it is. You, you just have to roll with the parameters of being there that long. So I have no idea what you asked me, but I've said words for a minute and I feel like hopefully it was uh, satisfying. Those words plus you, you verbalizing Thanosing. Uh, made me made me very very happy, uh, and you definitely did answer the question for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of curious, Jim, from from your perspective, you know, kind of digging into into the stuff that Austin was talking about, you know, with the you know game design, and you know, we see this often happen when it comes to you know the music of of a game where game design and and music are always kind of not in battle, but they're also kind of trying to figure out ways to work in tandem mm -hmm. in a in a system that is always kind of moving. Um, and, and changing throughout the process of, of game development. You know, there's some really um, clever twists and turns within, within Little Orpheus and, and the, the music kind of plays, you know, differently depending upon, you know, what the player is do doing and, and, and what's happening in the particular parts of those moments. You know, was the music kind of composed to fit each one of those specific kind of gameplay sections or was it something where there was kind of a general feel that kind of was, was the foundation and then you kind of right. finessed those other parts to go along with it? It was kind of a combination, really. Um, mm. Some of them uh, were, were, yeah, kind of set pieces where there was a design and, uh, again, like uh, people think, uh, Chris, and, uh, and we think about the grey box and stuff, um, you know, sort of in early when they're figuring out the pacing is great because you can sort of begin putting in bits of music and help with the pacing. And, uh, and so those set pieces like the chases or the, the next time on thing that you get at the end of every episode in Little Orpheus, they were pretty set lengths. Whereas there are some other places where, you know, it's standard kind of exploration music where you're bringing in a mood and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, or there's moments where kind of doing both where we're leading up to a set piece moment that's sort of scored to picture as it were. Mm. But we're doing something interactive leading into that so that, so that it doesn't feel disjointed, you know, so that the, the music carries you out of the gameplay into the, the cutscene or the action or whatever's happening. Um, but all of that, like there's various technical things going on to do that and there's the kind of fun jigsaw of figuring out how you can make the music do that and still be musical. But yeah. that's always, for me, like has to be in service to 
what you're trying to achieve emotionally or narratively or, or, or whatever and gave you know that that yeah. sort of technical side of it comes after i guess talking about like starting and stuff uh how music starts kind of think about what i would like the music to do and write that and then figure out if it's in any way possible to actually do that technically huh that's brilliant because i think you know when i think of from a very layman's version of you know being just on the kind of recipient side of the work that you all do i'm, I'm constantly thinking about how you all are building tension through the gameplay and, and through the music that you're that you're building alongside that gameplay um you know brad the, the question i want to dig in with you is is more around like when you're thinking about building that tension um you know how how important is it that you know in a game like this where combat is a huge focus of it that you you kind of are being, you know, you're bringing familiar kinds of parts that people kind of understand, you know, oh, we have some heavy drums here that kind of, you know, coordinate with some of the stuff or, you know, there, there are other parts of that, that mix that kind of blend into it. You know, how important is, how important is it to kind of have those familiar, you know, musical stylings that go along with a thing, but also, you know, in a game, especially like this, where, you know, Kurosawa is a, is a huge inspiration for what that game is supposed to look like, that you're kind of touching some of that stuff too. Like, how are you digging into and, and, and dealing with the, the film inspirations that come along with, with some of that as well? Um, so, yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, uh, as far as tension is concerned, it's, it's really tricky because that was actually one thing that we were kind of experimenting with even early on was how can we make the game feel tense without just the kind of cliche drums, more drums equals more tense. Right. And, you know, I think we, in some ways, I mean, we were lucky in a lot of ways. I, I think our, our composers definitely got that and did a great job of utilizing, you know, Western components like strings to, to create um, tension. But then also we had this other additional two really beautiful kind of unique palettes to work with, which were, you know, the traditional Japanese instruments and even some traditional Mongolian instruments. And that just kind of gave them more things to play with in their toolbox to help generate tension that didn't rely solely on drums. I mean, we still had a lot of big taiko ensembles and stuff like that when it was appropriate, but for our like, hey, you're in combat, we were really focusing more on how can we make the entire experience from I'm sneaking around, I'm infiltrating, I've been detected, I'm, I'm in combat, to feel really intense without just being drums all the time. Because, mm. you know, in part, we're also trying to carve out parts of the mix for the music, for sound effects, for dialogue, and um, just found having a more dynamic score worked really, really well that way. Yeah, I mean, I, whenever I think of that game now, I think of the sounds that happen as soon as you hit a duel. And, and that stuff st stays with me now. Whenever, whenever I go back and play it, I'm like, oh yeah, that was the thing that will stay with me across the, you know, the games that, that, that go along further. Um, I'm really interested in terms of on Ori too, you know, there's a lot of tension that, that, that wants happening within the action there as, as well. How did you kind of design a score that re reflected both the kind of tension that you see, you know, when you're battling other, you know, enemies and things like that, but that world also has this softness to it and kind of this innocence in it as well. I'd love to hear how you thought about the balance between those two. Well, you know, it's it's funny hearing Brad talk about combat in in Ghosts because, like, he mentions he mentions like you know holding back on the drums and and actually, if you think about combat, especially 
in the second Ori game, like there's a lot of combat, but one of the things that we decided fairly, fairly early on is that we only actually have combat music when you have to defeat something to progress. Huh. Um, you, it's, it's much easier to do in the first game, um, but in the second game, you can basically be a pacifist. Now, there's not really much motivation to be a pacifist because you get all kinds of cool stuff and sparkly lights and everything when you defeat an enemy. Um, but we, what that allowed us to do, um, first of all, is give the sound effects space. Um, mm. to like, so you can actually feel how tactile like Ori's attacks are. And it also gave us room to scale up the music. Like the music in Ori only reaches like level nine or 10 intensity when it really, really matters, which is the boss fights and the chase sequences and a handful of the cutscenes. And I, I remember early on when we tried out doing combat music for every encounter, it just didn't, it just didn't work. It's just really, really distracting. Mm. Um, and it's not really like the main focus of the game uh, is you know oh the player's got to feel like they've got to wipe out everything no uh it's not it's not what we want we like there is a beauty to the world and it's it's a reminder that like you don't have to to, to wipe out everything on the screen <laughs> and with that we found that the I sound effects sorry uh, no I, um, I think i played it wrong i was a bloodthirsty monster <laughs> i mean a lot of people will do that anyway it's like it, it, it you know we we get it it's just like we didn't want to because you can feel it in the sound effects, you don't need to like drum the player on the head with with uh, battle music as well. So it's it's actually honestly when, whenever I'm playing a game and like you you can almost kind of tell when the combat music starts in some games, and that's always mm -hmm. like um, especially in open world game, it's like that's not what you want. It kind of needs to be seamless. And so, so yeah, like hearing Brad like talking about the the less drums, but you use them when you're when it's appropriate. It actually makes it way more powerful for the player and allows you to ramp up in a much more dynamic and and, and interesting way. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but no, no, no. It's a nice tie into what Brad said, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I love that connective tissue there because I, you know, again for 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 me and for other folks who who will be seeing this later who are you know who don't have that kind of intimate relationship with the music because they aren't the ones who have made it but they get to you know feel and listen and 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 you know you know absorb what you're all trying to do with that work i think it really brings that that thought home in what you shared in that and it makes me want to kind of jump into to a little bit of the thoughts around carrying too where i think you know the work that you all have done to kind of make this really seamless soundscape, you know, where, where you have this kind of dramatic, you know, experience that is happening because you're this tentacle monster kind of, you know, roaming around this, this space and, and, and doing what a tentacle monster would do in that space. <laughs> um, you know, how did, how did you and, and, and the rest of the sound team kind of work together to make, you know, the ambient parts of the soundscape work so well? Yeah. You know, the, what parts well, of the production process so, did they all kind of collaborate on? Yeah, Carrion is... <laughs> kind of the exact opposite of, of Ori. Like you literally <laughs> must be bloodthirsty and kill everything. Um, there is no way around it. <laughs> There's no hug addition in carrying. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so yeah. So we knew we wanted the music and the sound design to feel pretty seamless in this. And so I, I think I'm kind of more known for doing bigger orchestral type stuff. 
So this was kind of a, a fun departure for me to do, try to take on a score that was more sound designy in nature. Mm. And, and I knew when I first started writing on it, it's like, okay, what are the sounds of this game? There's the slithering, you know, tentacle monster and there's screaming humans. And that's kind of it. Um, so I decided to incorporate that, make that kind of the basis of the score. So I, I created my, my own sample library for this. So I, I got a, a couple of years ago, kids were really into playing with these little balls of slime. You could just yeah. buy at the store. You could make slime, I guess. Uh, but I saw, a, I was at a friend's house and their kids were like playing with slime. And I was like, hey, let me, let me, let me see that slime for a second. And I found that, you know, you, you get a little, uh, you get it wet and you could just squish that thing. And I was like, this is making some killer sounds. So I spent a day in the studio just squishing slime um, and then processing the hell out of that to, to make a whole like range of instruments. And then I also took the sound of, of people and animals screaming actually um, did instruments based on that. And, and also took the sound of a, a recording of a heartbeat and, and kind of time stretched it, pitched it way, way, way down. And then time stretched that again. And that was kind of also the basis of a lot of the percussion is it's kind of a combo of, of heartbeats and screams. And I just wanted this when you're playing it, even if you couldn't recognize it as that, that it's sort of hitting that fight or flight mechanism in your brain when you, when you hear it. And, um, that's kind of, it, it just happened to, yeah, really perfectly marry with the, with the sound design too. So you're not, it, it's nice. It makes it actually feel a little more interactive than, than it really is. That is, I love that answer. And that is also going to be the name of my new album, heartbeats and screams. So thank you <laughs> for, for, for sharing that and giving me that. Cause I, I I'm, I'm super excited for that. Um, Austin, uh, before, before we, we give our award away, I want to talk to you about, you know, how did you kind of arrive at the specific, you know, instrumentation parts, you know, that ended up in the score too, you know, Chris talked about squishing slime as, as a way to get good sounds for a thing that you're looking for, you know, what, what, what music were you kind of drawing inspiration from and what were the challenges in kind of implementing that in a, in a bigger open world abstract story? Well, all the early drafts that had the squishing slime and human screams were thoroughly rejected by the developers. So I had to figure out something else halfway through. Um, So this was one where one of the first things that um, Matt, the director, showed me were was this image of how the main character was this sort of archer hunter that had an eagle sort of companion. And he was drawing inspiration from the kind of way they interacted from these photos of these Mongolian falcon falconers that would like hunt with these gigantic, amazingly beautiful falcons. And I just was starting to look at that and I thought, you know, I like the idea of, because there's nothing inherently Mongolian about the game. It was just one of those things that he, he just loved this tradition and thought it was a beautiful thing to kind of... Um, spring off into some other place with and I thought it could be interesting if the music sort of did the same and then by total luck you know adjacent to Mongolia is the country of Tuba that has a throat singing tradition that's similar um, and really rich and deep and full of 
amazing color and musical traditions and languages and things. And I, I, by chance, these musicians that I was working with on a unrelated project, this chamber group in Chicago, were doing like this artist in residency exchange with a Tuvan throat singing group where they were coming to the U.S. and then the people in Chicago were going to go to Tuva. And so they said, you know, I, I said, can you put me in touch with them? And, and um, I was trying to figure out how to write for them because they they the group read western sheet music in a in a very basic way but it was also a very limiting way for what they do they're 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 an improvisational reactionary group they play songs mm. also but they but they also just they can they can just be musically exist and speak through their their throats and through their instruments and so after talking back and forth with them for the better part of a year i i kind of coordinated a point on their tour schedule and flew and met them. And then we just went into a studio together and literally just jammed. I sat there and played piano on a keyboard so that they could hear it in their ears, but the mics were only picking like a digital piano so that only the mics were recording them. And we basically just didn't talk, but played for about six hours. And so I had this like 2000 bar Pro Tools session that was just a mess of random playing <laughs> for all this time. And, and then for literally the next two years, I was just mining the depths of this of this thing, looking for fragments that I could then build up. And in some cases, you know, we add orchestra on and all kinds of things. But all it all started with this idea of just talking through music. Um, and then uh, the only other thing I would add to that is that at some point, the idea of it feeling very folk-like became the fixation but obviously if you go for any kind of folk instrument you are already in the territory of whatever folk tradition that instrument comes from and so mm. because the game takes place in a non-existent you know kind of fantasy world I, I started thinking well maybe i can get around this problem by having folk instruments from all over the world and kind of i kind of jokingly called it my global jam band where sort of <laughs> different improvisational techniques and stuff of groups from all over so that it just kind of becomes its own weird chimera, you know, of, of folk traditions. And um, so it ended up being like a billion solo instruments all kind of cobbling together to form this ad hoc orchestra kind of thing, which was, was really cool. I'd never done anything like that before. And it wasn't something that just occurred to me. It was like you add a little layer of paint and you realize, oh, that, that was interesting. I wonder if I add a little bit more, a little, a little bit more. And just after having years to work on it, at some point you realize it's become this giant blob of paint. And you're like, oh, shit, I... I I couldn't have planned this. I couldn't have, I would have never thought from the beginning to do it this way. Yeah. So that's was, badass. I love, I love hearing stories like that. Again, it's like getting a chance to, 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 to pull from the world around you in, in, in real ways that are also, you know, come together and, and give you more to work with than you ever could have thought of before. I, I love stories like that. And, and thank you for sharing that. Um, we are now at the, the, the really, really fun part of, of our hanging out and our conversation is where I get to give an award away, uh, which is always super fun. So, uh, again, thank you all for, for, for hanging with us and the Outstanding Achievement and Original Music Composition Award goes to Ghosts of Tsushima. Congratulations. Congrats, congrats, congrats. Nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, well, you know. All, all credit has to go absolutely to uh, to Ume and uh, Chigeru Umebayashi and Ilan Ishkeri, our composers, as well as the amazing music team that took that music and, and just brought it to life within our world. Uh, Pete Scaturo, Keith Leary, Andrew Buresh, uh, God, I'm going to forget some people, Nick Mastriani, Adam Kalibjian, Monty Mudd, 
Sony Coronado, Kelly Boynton, uh, Bill Hemstapat, Chad Cannon, and probably some others that I am forgetting, but you know, it was, it was a huge long process and those people and more were, were very much involved for, for years to, to make it happen. So, um, you know, that, uh, I'm super proud of all of them and, and, uh, thank you. It's, it's quite a, quite an honor. Well, again, congrats to you and the team. You know, uh, you know, when we had the, the, the idea for this category and, and having everyone in, I was really excited because, again, I get to nerd out with some of the best in the business about the wonderful things that they do. So, uh, Chris, Brad, Jim, Gareth, and Austin, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us and, and, and sticking around and telling us some great, great stories about the work that you do. And we will all hopefully see you all here next year as well for, for wonderful games that you've worked on. So, again, thank you for the time today. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 DICE Summit and DICE Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the DICE Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter at official underscore AIAS for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again.